0: Hello and welcome. Uh, on behalf of CME Outfitters, I would like to welcome all of you and thank you for joining us for the first in a series of uh, three CMEO snacks. And the first one of these uh, snacks is titled "Disease: Dengue Disease Update." What do U.S. clinicians uh, need to know? Uh, This uh, CMO snack series is supported by an independent grant uh, uh, from uh, Takeda Pharmaceuticals in US. My name is Marco Aurélio Safadi, I'm an associate professor and uh, currently the head of the Department of Pediatrics at Santa Casa de Sao Paulo, School of Medical Science here in, in, in Brazil. And I have the pleasure to be joined today Uh, by a distinguished colleague, uh, Dr. Ines Esquilín Rivera. Dr. Esquilín Rivera, could you please uh, introduce yourself?
1: Hi, how are you? Uh, My name is Ines Esquilín. I'm a professor at the Department of Pediatrics and the Director of the Pediatric Infectious Diseases Division at the University of Puerto Rico School of Medicine in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with
0: you, Dr. Sada. So nice to have you here, Ines. Uh, well, to frame the discussion today, uh, let me review our learning objective. Our goal today is that after this CME snack, uh, you will be able to identify the clinical manifestations of dengue disease, factoring in exposure risk. Uh, we We know that in many parts of the U.S., uh, dengue is not common. So probably most of you have never treated a patient uh, with dengue or know someone who has ever treated a dengue patient. So the idea, we really want to start our program with an interview. And in this interview, we'll have a patient who has had dengue. So you will be able to see firsthand what the disease is like, and the burden it places on patients. So let's follow the video.
2: I didn't know I was gonna get sick because I had my day going normally and I didn't have signs that I remember, right? Of any booster, any mosquito bite, nothing. Mm. But it it didn't cross my mind really. So that dengue was the thing I had was like really a shock. I was like really tired. It was something like 10 a.m. and I just had woken up. So it was weird that I had that I was feeling that tired one moment to another. I started to feel uh body ache and headache. And it persisted, even though we administered Tylenol or even Advil, but nothing helped. And during that night, I think that was, I had a 102 Fahrenheit fever. When my mom um, saw that I had a, a 102 Fahrenheit fever, she kept me in observation that night and she said if in the morning you're not feeling better we're going to the hospital but in the morning um I started to see black spots on my eyes and it was really weird and I lost my appetite the fever never went down and since the appearance of the dark spots on the eyes, she decided to take me to the hospital, and there they administered IVs and had my blood tested, right, and get COVID tested. They didn't de- they didn't do dengue because it didn't cross their minds because I had all the th- the symptoms of COVID and. For them, it was um, COVID. Uh, that that test of COVID came negative. So they sent me home after giving me IVs and giving me something for the opposite stomach. Even though they give, gave me those IVs and the medication for the stomach, um, I still... Had the fever, had the body ache, headache, everything, and that night I felt worse, and the shivering was horrible as the fever, headache, and body ache persisted um, My mom said that the best option was to get me to the hospital again, but um there they did. Administer the test of dengue, where they found out that my platelets were at fifty two hundred. They keep, they kept me in isolation um, for five days, and the abdominal pain was worse because I was super tired and. I didn't have the strength. I felt better on the sixth day, but that was the first day I felt like energy. Very interesting,
0: Inez. That was a a really eye-opening experience uh, the patient provided to all of us. So let's keep her story in mind while we dive into our program today. So, let me start, uh, uh, Inez, and let me talk about dengue prevalence. Uh, What can you tell us about dengue presence around the world?
1: Yes, uh, absolutely. Dengue causes the greatest human disease burning of any of the arboviruses with an estimated 440. 1000 deaths and 100 million symptomatic infections per year across 125 countries almost half of the world's population about 4 billion people living areas with risk of dengue um, I would say that among, among the 250 countries and territories considered globally, uh, 86% are potential, potentially suitable for the existence and development of the Aedes aegyptis and the Aedes albopticus mosquito, which is the vector of dengue.
0: No, no doubts. Dengue is really a, a, a major public health concern in several places of the world particularly in my region, in, in, in South America, in Latin America, in, in general, and particularly in Brazil, just to have an idea, Ines, uh, we usually have more than 1 million cases uh, per year associated with, in, on average, 1,000 deaths associated uh, with dengue and, and, and thousands of hospitalizations uh, with the disease. And what we are seeing that calls my attention is that we are observing an increasing trend in reporting uh, dengue in several places. Areas where we never reported dengue, we are seeing uh, increasing uh, uh, incidence rates uh, of dengue among travelers, etc. So I fully agree with you, these arboviral diseases of major public uh, health concern around the world. So thank you so much for for that summary. And uh in as you mentioned that uh, mosquitoes transmitted the virus, could you tell us more about these how does it work the transmission of dengue?
1: Yeah, the the aedes mosquitoes are the principal the, the vectors of the dengue. Uh, around the world, there are two species: the Aedes aegyptus and the Aedes albopictus. The major vector vector is the Aedes aegypti, and then uh, it's very interesting how the the cycle of transmission occurs with these mosquitoes that that love to live around people in. Man-made containers and in, uh, water, standing water, and they replicate very easily. The mosquito will lay their eggs and replicate very easily in water. Um, uh, sometimes, uh, in, in pots and um, plant, Pots around our garden, uh, we do have these mosquitoes uh replicating and then um, there is an intrinsic and an extrinsic uh, cycle for the transmission of this mosquito, and it starts with the uh, uh, mosquito taking a blood meal on an infected person, a person that has dengue, uh, gets bitten by the mosquito, and then the virus will start to replicate in the meat coat of the mosquitoes and will go to the salivary gland of the mosquito. And then uh, this infected mosquito will go to bite a susceptible person, a person that hasn't been infected probably with that specific dengue uh, type in the past, and that person will go through an intrinsic incubation period that will last from five to seven days, where the virus will start to replicate. And then, and then a second mosquito will bite that person that is having symptoms by now after the incubation period. And that then uh, the cycle will start again and goes on and on. And that's why, and, uh, Within a household, when there is a person with dengue, mostly everyone in the house gets infected because the mosquito will go from one person to another. And this is very, very common uh, for us in the Caribbean. Uh, It's that common that in our emergency rooms and local health centers, if someone comes with fever, our top diagnosis will always be dengue. No,
0: oh, that's, that's perfectly correct. And, uh, regarding the species of Aedes uh, mosquito, uh, uh, definitely the Aedes aegypti is the most competent one. And currently in our region, uh, is, 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 is he, he, this mosquito is, is really prevalent around our region. So thank you so much for, for that nice summary, uh, Ines. And well, now that we talked a bit about the role of these uh, vectors, uh, these mosquitoes, and the spread of a dengue. Uh, what can you tell us, Ines, about the dengue virus itself?
1: The dengue virus is an arbovirus, actually a flavivirus. Uh, it is a nicosahedral, very small, single-stranded RNA virus, composed of mainly three structural proteins and seven non-structural proteins. It's very interesting uh, because we always talk about dengue, but there are four different viruses. On it, and what is even more interesting Interesting is that once you get infected with with one uh, serotype, you get immunity to that serotype, but you are susceptible to the other serotypes. And in places like Puerto Rico, where we have all the serotypes circulating, it's very common to have patients that just got dengue one one or two years ago and will come with dengue three uh, this year. And it's also very important to mention that the second episode or the second infection of dengue is associated with more severe disease. So, so that's why it's so that, important to
0: yeah. even yeah, when no, you that, had
1: dengue in the past, try to prevent a second infection or third infection.
0: That that that's the key point and and and, and very important, Ines. Uh, despite being uh, for closely related serotypes it's very intriguing because if you are infected uh, with one of those uh, serotypes it it will induce long life immunity only against this specific serotype that infected you and after few months a period where you theoretically has cross protection but after few months you again uh, uh, is susceptible for these Remaining uh, three serotypes that you haven't been so far infected. And very intriguingly, if you are, if you have a secondary infection is usually where we see uh, the most uh, severe cases, but we will have opportunity uh, during our next programs to discuss uh, with a bit more uh, the reasons behind Uh, the risk of severe dengue behind those secondary infections. Uh, Usually, uh, the longer is the interval between uh, those infections, uh, the higher is the risk of having severe dengue as a secondary infection. Very intriguing.
2: Absolutely.
0: Uh, Well, Ines, uh, we have talked uh, about uh, what dengue is, uh, but uh, tell us a bit more about the Clinical presentations: uh, What really dengue uh, actually does look like uh, in a patient uh, who present at the emergency room?
1: Actually, dengue can range from completely asymptomatic disease to mild or even severe disease. So, so dengue is a very interesting uh, infectious disease. Uh, in two thousand and nine, the WHO. Uh, establish a classification system for dengue virus, for symptomatic dengue virus infection. And the first category is dengue without warning signs. And the diagnosis is established when the patient lives or travels to a region that is uh, endemic for dengue, has fever, plus two of the following, nausea vomiting, a rash, which is usually maculopapular or macular, myalgia, arthralgia, headaches, or retroorbital pain, leukopenia, or a positive tourniquet test. And as you can see, if a patient only has Uh, nausea, vomiting, and a rash, or nausea, vomiting, and myalgia, it is very difficult to establish that this is dengue, Uh, so you have to be very aware and suspicious about the possibility of this infection in order to provide the best care to that patient. then the second category is dengue with warning signs and these warning signs were the most important part of this new classification because those, these findings would alert the physicians about the possibility of developing severe dengue and if patients have any of these symptoms which include abdominal pain or tenderness, persistent vomiting, uh, clinical fluid accumulation because patient has a series, has a pleural fusion, for example, mucosal bleeding, signs of mucosal bleeding, lethargy or restlessness, hepatomegaly, or an increase in the hematocrit that is concurrent with rapid decrease in the platelet count. These are the signs that should alert the physicians and the care providers that this patient is going to progress to severe dengue if if that patient does not receive the appropriate care, so so this is uh, the the first part of the classification. Uh, far from these two categories, then we have the severe dengue.
0: no oh, that that's perfect, uh, Inez. and and and, it, and it's clear uh, for me uh, that this WHO uh, new classification and the inclusion of the uh, dengue classification without and with. Uh, warning signs and the definition of severe dengue clearly helped us a lot uh, in terms of uh, uh, accessing uh, the patient and providing a timely uh, treatment uh, for this patient. It, it clearly, in my opinion, increased the, this classification, increased the sensitivity. So it allowed us to really identify uh, earlier uh, the patients who had. Uh, severe presentation of dengue, and it makes us uh, prone to really uh, uh, initiate what, in my opinion, makes the difference in terms of the prognosis of dengue, uh, which is the early identification of shock and providing really a, a hydration that clearly uh, the the prognosis of this patient. So, Definitely, this new uh, WHO classification helped it a lot, both in terms of increasing sensitivity, but also uh, in terms of allowing us to really implement a more timely intervention to decrease uh, case fatality rates, etc. Very, very nice, uh, Inês. Uh, we talked about this this presentation and 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 the patients that go. Could you please elaborate a bit by on uh, regarding these patients with severe symptoms? How do they behave?
1: Yeah, severe severe dengue is is probably the worst complication of this disease. And it's the third category under the new classification. And this includes the patients that have severe plasma leakage, uh, leading them to shock. Uh, fluid accumulation with respiratory distress. These are the patients that can develop severe severe bleeding um, and severe organ involvement too. Uh, some of the of these patients will develop hepatitis, pancreatitis, will develop myocarditis, encephalitis, all these are, are manifestations of, of severe dengue. And as you just mentioned, the most important part is to recognize the warning signs and provide fluids to these patients. Um, I always tell my residents that dengue patients died of shock, and is this and the extravasation of the fluids, what kills them. You don't have to wait till they have a low blood pressure because most of them are well compensated. And when you see hypotension, then they go to frank shock and eventually will die if you are not able to rescue them. So it's important to institute appropriate care as soon as you uh I recognize that there are warning signs. Yeah but it, yeah. that I think probably that's the most important point.
0: Uh, I, I always say the same, Inez. I used to say to my residents that really what changed the, the prognosis is the early identification and, and it, it it is very clear that we may change case fatality rates. Uh, if you are able to identify early the patients who are in shock and provide adequate uh, hydration. Patients of dengue, usually they don't die due to bleeding. They die due to shock. So this is maybe one of the most important messages that both of us uh, will address during this, this snack.
1: It is very important to recognize that they will die of shock. And once they develop shock, uh, we are probably late. We need to recognize them before they are in frank shock because prolonged shock will, will definitely turn to death if we, if we don't recognize it promptly. And, uh, I will also say that most people will think that dengue will will result in complete recovery because they haven't seen patients die of of, of shock. And, and it is true that after the first uh, phase that it is the febrile phase that will last two to seven days, then they will progress to the critical phase and only one in 20 of those in the critical phase will develop Develop severe dengue and are more at risk of death because the, the, the probably the body and the early treatment will compensate and the most of them will recover, but there is, there is a significant number that will progress to, to, uh, to dengue shock and out uh, shock. Uh, it is important that during this recovery phase, what will occur is that the extravasation of fluids will stop and then the fluid will become available, uh, to the, uh, inside the vascular system and the patients will normalize their hematocrit. The platelet count will start to increase and there will be, uh, it's low recovery phase, where you will see an elevation of the white blood cell count, and, and things will go back to normal after the diuresis. But if the patient is in shock and continues for a prolonged time with shock, the prognosis is poor, and the patient will be very, very, very difficult to to treat and bring back to a normal situation.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Let's move to another point that uh, also, for me, is very interesting. Well, clearly, dengue is very uh, prevalent in several regions of the world, but we are seeing, as we mentioned earlier, that we are seeing increasing regions at risk of dengue. And U.S. is uh, one of the regions that we are seeing uh, cases of dengue. And I assume that probably the, the real burden is probably very underestimated in U.S., because I think that most of the physicians uh, are not aware of the disease. They do not think of dengue when they have a patient in front of them. But can you tell us, uh, Ines, uh, which is the current uh, situation of dengue uh, in U.S.?
1: That's a very important point, but because even, uh, for us in the Caribbean, and I'm sure for you in, in Brazil, there are people that it is hard for them to recognize the symptoms of dengue, uh, initially because it's not that specific. But can you imagine if the U.S. where, 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 uh, physicians are not it's seen so many cases of dengue, but there are cases. Last year, for example, in 2022, there were 750 cases in Florida. Uh, but of those, 57 were local transmission because the vector is in uh, is, it lives in 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 that state. There were there were 17 cases in Arizona, 15 travel associated and two locally transmitted in Arizona, 27 cases in New Jersey, 15 in Illinois, and 10 in Maryland. Uh, so there is a uh, travel-associated dengue in the U.S., uh, and there is local transmission in some states in the U.S. too. For Puerto Rico, we have travel-associated dengue, but most of the cases are transmitted locally. Uh, uh, that's because we have uh, yeah. Uh, now, actually, three of the zero types circulating, and this year so far, we have uh, one hundred and travel, twenty-six travel, twenty-six travel-associated cases in the U.S. Seventy-one in Florida. Probably because a lot of Floridians come uh, to Puerto Rico uh, and travel. There is. Uh, what we call a bridge between Puerto Rico and Florida, nine in Massachusetts, seven in California, six in New York, and 33 in 18 other states. As so, so there, so far we've seen uh, uh, dengue in the U.S. associated mostly with travel. Uh, but also local transmission. And so far in Puerto Rico, 256 uh, dengue cases reported, and these are the cases that are symptomatic, I will say that in children, so many cases of dengue uh, are not diagnosed because patients just present with a rash and a febrile illness. And if they don't get tested, we miss the diagnosis. And it's very common in infants uh, uh, to have febrile, viral febrile illnesses and, and not always people think of dengue.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely probably very likely that we are, uh underestimating the real burden and it will be very easy to have some zero prevalence data uh studies to really address uh, and recognize uh, the, the real picture uh, of taking determinate regions of the US like southeastern and and, and, and some territories etc but ines. Uh, uh ines uh, tell me a little bit more about uh the age distribution of these cases, where do you see most of the cases, where do you see the highest case fatality rates and risk of hospitalizations? Uh, Bring me an update of the situation in U.S. addressing very briefly these points.
1: Yeah, de- dengue is endemic in six U.S. territories and, and the Freely Associated States, but Puerto Rico has the largest population among the territories where dengue is endemic. The, ha- the highest case and hospitalization rates will occur in children between 10 and 19 years of age, but the highest mortality rates will occur in, in adults' age uh, more than 20 years of age so we we see dengue cases in the different age groups so definitely mostly in three adolescents and adolescents and the mortality uh, about uh, above 20 years of age
0: okay well definitely we, we are seeing uh, uh different pictures in our region but uh, we are endemic for a long period, and uh, we currently uh, the, the age group where we are seeing the highest case fatality rates and and death uh, recently in Brazil are the elderly group. We are seeing increasing uh, uh, hospitalization rates and mortality rates among the elderly in our population, which is obviously uh, uh, brings n- the need to discuss how to 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 also protect these these age groups uh, but let me move to another point uh, regarding also the epidemiology in US and the mosquito distribution uh, in 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 United States uh does the range of mosquitoes uh, in the US necessarily mean greater risk of dengue uh, can you address this point, C, regarding the distribution of mosquitoes in the regions in u s and associate this distribution with the risk of dengue uh, in United States?
1: Well, yes, the vectors are uh, mostly uh, in the south and the eastern. Coast of the u s and there is a model that uses county level records, historical records, and the suitable climate climate variables to predict the likelihood that mosquitoes will survive and reproduce, but this doesn't necessarily represents a risk for spread of the disease. We just know where the mosquitoes live, where where are the the climates and the temperatures that are are more uh, uh, avid for the growth of the mosquitoes, but this doesn't necessarily represent risk of spread of disease.
0: Perfectly. And we are currently, uh, also as we have discussed that previously, but we definitely are seeing an increasing number of countries reporting dengue, uh, also in, uh, not only in the North America, but also in Europe. Eh? Uh, recent data is showing that we are seeing an increasing number of regions in Europe at risk of dengue. And could you briefly uh, comment in your opinion, Ines, uh, what is affecting uh, this growing risk and what this means uh, in the long term.
1: Well, yeah, sure. The the situation in Europe uh, has to do with the warming trend and uh, frequent flooding that is more becoming more frequent and severe. That the summers are getting longer and warmer, and all these predispose uh, to the to to the spread of of dengue, uh, in 2013, the Aedes aegypti mosquito was established in eight European countries, with uh, 114 regions being affected. And now, this year, it is establishing 13 countries and. Three, more than 300 regions. So, so I think that it has to do probably with climate changes and temperatures in Europe. Uh, and there was a very interesting paper in Nature Microbiology um, that uh, made some estimates of what can probably be happening in in a future, and they estimated that. Uh, billion more people will be at risk of dengue in 2080 versus 2015 and most of the southeastern usa was predicted to be suitable for dengue in 2050 and this is driven by climate change by urbanization by population growth in endemic areas more than anything else but i was surprised when i look at that data uh because for us that uh, we will need to, to be aware and work hardly on get it, getting some public health measures uh, to, to stop the, the possible epidemics if the situation goes under control. Doesn't go under control.
0: Yeah, no, excellent. Well, wow. uh, I think we are coming to, to the end of our program thank you so much uh dr Esquiline rivera for this uh, wonderful conversation for this wonderful program i hope our audience uh, has learned about a topic that probably they are not uh, familiar with uh, in in the united states so let's now uh, go over our smart goals that we hope our audience has accomplished uh, from participating uh, in this program. So, we have several bullets that I will address. The first one is to develop uh, foundational knowledge of dengue, uh, including global prevalence, viral characteristics, and also mechanisms of disease transmission, as well as identify clinical presentations specific to classic dengue and also severe dengue when considering differential diagnosis for patients at higher risk of this disease. Characterize the prevalence and the risk of dengue disease specifically to the United States, uh, including uh, projections of uh, increased risk when discussing infectious disease topicals in your clinical Practice. Uh, wow, well, this CMEO snack is one uh, of a three-part series. Uh, we hope that uh, you will take advantage of all of the short and focused activities uh, in this uh, three-part series. Well, again, uh, uh, Doctor Esqueline uh, Rivera, thank you so so much for uh, joining me today. And thank you all uh, for uh, participating and, and
2: providing the best care for our patients. Thank you so much. Thank you.